0: So, I'm currently working through the book of Numbers and also 1st and 2nd Timothy. It's always healthy to rotate both Testaments to read both Testaments daily if possible. You forget an awful lot. And I was reading through Numbers chapter 20, and please go to Numbers chapter 20. Very interesting how it mirrors Psalm 2. This book has to have been written by Almighty God. There are too many coincidences, quote unquote, uh, for such a book to have just come together. If you think of any particular author, their books may be similar, uh, but they're not identical. If you think of someone like Stephen King, who's written many books, or Charles Dickens, or some of the greats like that, they write many books, but they don't. They're not all the same. Even the uh, Pauline epistles are not identical. The four Gospels are not identical. Similar, well of course, but not identical. And yet Numbers chapter 20 incredibly mirrors Psalm 2. Numbers chapter 20, written 1400 BC. Look at verse 1, if you will. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin, in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there, and was buried there. Just eight words to tell us that she has died. Whereas when Moses would die, and Aaron would die, it says how the people mourned for many days, and yet just eight words, denoting her death. And I guess this goes back to the Incidents concerning Miriam speaking out against Moses marrying a black woman. Look at verse 2. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. So congregation is found in 20 verse 1. Congregation is found in 20 verse 2. And Moses here is a type of God the Father. And Aaron is a type of God the Son. And the people chode with Moses and spake saying... Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Chode, chide, like scold. They would scold Moses and Aaron. The people, being God's elect nation, are kicking against the authority of Moses and Aaron. Contrast that to Jesus in the New Testament. Many times the people would clash with his authority. They would say, where did he get his authority from? Who did he think he is? We know His mother. We know his father, being a stepfather, of course. We know his brothers and sisters. He's grown up with us, as have his brethren. Who does he think he is? Look at verse 4. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? Congregation. This is a picture of the church back in the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, before the tabernacle, before the uh, temple would be erected, were in the wilderness. For 40 years and the term congregation or assembly from verse 8 is what we call ourselves today. We are the assembly. We are the called out people. And here they are arguing, they are scolding Moses and Aaron. They don't like what they are having to go through. Uh, Look at verse 4 again. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness? That we and our cattle should die there also, this is a great picture of the apostate church found over in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. 5. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. They're also carnal. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to enjoy the onions and the good life, as it were. They don't want to be a peculiar people. They don't want to suffer the reproach of the Lord that's something every Christian should do. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. In fact, it's basically impossible. It's impossible, basically, to be a Christian. And yet you are told to do so nonetheless. Look at verse 6. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So, for the New Testament, Jesus and the Holy Ghost intercede for us. But go back to this piece of scripture. Moses. And Aaron are interceding for the people of Israel. So Aaron switches from being a type of the Son to being a type of the Holy Ghost. Whereas Moses continues to be a type of God the Father. And again the term assembly is found in verse 6. Congregation verse 4. Congregation verse 1. You see it time after time. What begins in the Old Testament is completed in the New Testament. What begins in the Old Testament with the tabernacle returns. During the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying. Take the rod. And gather thou the assembly together. Thou and Aaron thy brother. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. Speak to the rock. The rock of course is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again assembly. Verse 8. The ecclesia. The church. The called out people. And it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them. Water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation, and their beasts drink. So beasts, denoting livestock, obviously. There was enough water for the people, and also the beasts. But of course, in the context and in typology, beasts are also a picture of the Gentiles. Keep your hand there, and go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. This will relate nicely to Psalm 2, so bear with me. Mark chapter 7. Uh, Look at verse twenty. 5. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Saraphonician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. She is a Greek, she is a Gentile, she is from the lower class, shall we suggest. Her daughter is devil possessed. Maybe mother was devil possessed, maybe the devil went from mother into the daughter. Many times mothers are not the best examples. And if mothers are not the best examples, it can affect their daughters. So it's best to raise your daughters if you are a mother in a good godly way. And if you are if you are a father, raise your sons in a good godly way. Common sense, I know. Look at verse 27. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread, and to cast it unto the dogs. Dogs, beasts. So for the Jews in the first century, they would look at gentiles as being dogs today if you speak to muslims they look at dogs as being unclean animals and if you see a dog in a park and muslims are present many times the muslims will run they will disappear because they see the dogs as being unclean look at 28 and she answered and said unto him yes lord yet the dogs under the table eats of the children's crumbs doesn't go against him she says yes you are right we are dogs Uh, When it comes to us being Gentiles, whereas you are the chosen people, salvation is of the Lord. So again, dogs, beasts are interlinked. Look at 29. And he said unto her, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and the daughter laid upon the bed. Go back to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Look at verse 8 again. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together. Thou and Aaron thy brother. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water. Not her water. His water. Because Christ of course is male. Not female. He is not transgender. He is male. He is masculine. And again the water is a wonderful picture of everlasting life. And in type a picture of the blood of Christ. And thou shalt bring them forth to them. Water out to the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and the beasts drink. Beasts being animals, and like I say in the context, not just physical animals, but Gentiles in typology. Look at verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Rebels. If you have a Bible, underline that. It will tie in very nicely with Psalm 5, which we'll get to shortly. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. It comes out abundantly. There was more than enough to go around. There's no such thing as limited atonements. The blood was shed for everyone and everything. So if you are a Calvinist, you are a heretic. If you hold to the tulip, you are holding to a heretical belief. You need to get rid of it. You need to come back to the scripture, of course. You are following men not the master, of course. And the Lord spake unto Moses Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. They will lose their inheritance, if you will, they won't go into the promised land, and yet they will be on the new earth. So for a period of time, their inheritance, shall we suggest, has been suspended, but it will become a reality when the thousand-year reign begins, of course. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. So, a quick opening to tie this in with Psalm 2. Go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, and what you just looked at, are the children of Israel clashing with their leaders, Moses and Aaron, in the context, types of God the Father and God the Son. And yet later on, Aaron switches from being a type of the Son to the Spirit. And like I said a few moments ago, from Psalm 2 like verse 1, this ties in very nicely, why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing, also picked up from Acts chapter 4, which we looked at some weeks ago, concerning hostile, unbelieving Israel, and if you go back to what I said a few moments ago, from the book of Numbers, God's elect nation, clashing with Moses and Aaron, and here David, 1000 BC, is now speaking about those from his day, And it says again how the heathen rage people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, like they would against Moses and Aaron, John the Baptist and Jesus. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This could have led to a full-scale rebellion back in the book of Numbers. And on more than one occasion, many Jews would perish due to the lack of faith in Jehovah and their treachery. Uh, going against God's anointed leaders and here Psalm 2 parallels very nicely with Numbers chapter 20 so Father we pray for your blessing this morning as we look at Psalm 5 the 5th Psalm we pray you'll open up this book to us give us eyes to see, ears to hear help us to understand one of the greatest books in the Bible we know most of this is devotional, not doctrinal but we want to attempt, Lord willing to harmonise every verse in the entire book of Psalms we pray you will help us to do so Father may we honour you, glorify you be filled with thy spirit may you wash away all of our sins from the last time we met to break bread and to read thy word and we pray for your grace and mercy now in Jesus name amen and amen Psalm 5 Psalm 5 look at verse 1 give ear to my words o lord consider my meditation so the lord when it comes to relating to us when it comes to communicating with us when it comes to revealing himself to us he will do it one way basically and that one way will be through words if you love me, keep my words. And if he uses words to connect with us, we need to use words to connect with him. Even if you were to see a vision of him or receive a prophecy or a revelation of him, which was very common up until the close of the entire Bible, the completion of the canon of scripture, he would still reveal himself to you with words. That's why it says from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word, the logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. So here we use words to connect uh, with us, to relate to us, to interact with us, and vice versa. We are not animals. We don't come from animals. We are humans. We are made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. Animals may have spirits, but they don't have souls, whereas we have bodies, souls, and spirits. Give ear to my words, King David speaking. O oh Lord, consider my meditation. So last week I showed you, uh, for example, from one uh, How the word Lord appears. And 4-1, O God. And 5-1, O Lord. And 6-1, O Lord. And 7-1, O Lord my God. But if you go back to Psalm uh, 1, 12. Kiss the Son. Put your trust in Him. Go back to 3-8. The Lord. Go back to 4-8. Lord. And 5-12 ends with Lord. So every Psalm, excluding Psalm 1. And also Psalm 2, in fact even Psalm 1 verse 6 closes with the Lord, but every other psalm opens and closes with the term Lord or God. Like I said last week, this is a personal petition. The writer of the book of Psalms is speaking to somebody who he knows to be so. Doesn't doubt God's existence, doesn't doubt his own salvation. He knows that God is who he says he is. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation so, Psalm 3 begins with David praying in the daytime. Psalm 4, he's praying at the nighttime or during nighttime. And Psalm 5, he's praying during the daytime. This is where we get the two days or at least two to three days. This incident with Absalom would run at least two to three days, but more likely two days or at least two days, three nights. So, I'm going to suggest three days. Two days, he's on the run from his son. And the third day, he is victorious, picturing Christ coming up out of the tomb on the third day. So one more time, Psalm 3, he's praying in the daytime. Psalm 4, he's praying at night time. Psalm 5, he's praying in the daytime. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. If you think of Thomas in the Gospel of John, he would say, My Lord and my God, and here, my King and my God. Strictly speaking, the term King is always connected with Israel as a nation. King of Israel, but as far as we are concerned, Saviour of the Church. But what David really wants is God's attention, like a child wants its parents or parents, parents' attention, as a child wants its parents' attention. David, as a child of the king, wants his father's attention. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king and my God. For unto thee will I pray. I'm going to pray to you, Jehovah. I'm not going to pray to Mary or Joseph. Or blessed John the Baptist. I'm not going to pray to St. Christopher or St. Anthony. I'm not going to pray to Pope John Paul II. I'm not going to pray to all of the saints. Jose Escovira or Jose Maria Escovira. The late founder of the Opus Dei cult. Or Thomas Aquinas. Or any of the so-called Catholic greats. quote unquote. I'm going to pray to you. You won't find any Jew back in the Old Testament. Spending five minutes praying to a dead saint. He doesn't pray to Abraham. doesn't pray to Isaac. doesn't pray to Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for a long time, and he doesn't pray to such people. He goes straight to the Lord, and so should you. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Be mindful of me, dear Lord. I am still dealing with the Absalom incident. Hearken unto the voice of my cry and my King and my God. For unto Thee will I pray. So he wants God's attention. Nothing wrong with that, of course. He has a personal walk and relationship with the Lord. And like I say, if you are a Christian, you should spend time with Him praying to him reading his word speaking to people about him speaking to god about people and getting what you can done for him incidentally psalm 5 is entitled to the chief musician upon Nealuth or nialuth a psalm of david so there's no doubt as to who wrote psalm 5 my voice shout thou here in the morning O lord in the morning will i direct my prayer unto thee and will look up he starts a day in prayer you should start the day in prayer if you can, when you open your eyes for the first time in the morning or when you awake first time in the morning, say, good morning, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Be with me today. Keep me close to you. I don't trust my own flesh. Paul would say we put no confidence in the flesh. Your biggest enemy is yourself. Never mind people in your streets or people in your neighborhood or people at your place of employment or people here or there or the governments or what have you or the militia or what have you, or the junta or what have you, depending on where you live, of course, your biggest enemy is yourself my voice going back to God speaks to us using words and we use words to speak to him do you ever think about this every single day of the week you've got around maybe four five hundred million people praying to God in maybe two or three hundred languages and all those languages he hears that would exclude the Muslims praying to Allah of course and the Catholics praying to Mary and the saints but bible-believing Christians let's be generous and say half a million make that half a billion let's push it up a bit more let's say half a billion people worldwide maybe that's too high maybe let's say 100 million people worldwide let's bring it down let's say 100 million people worldwide born again washed in the blood are praying to the lord in china you've got 80 million that we believe to be saved so that figure of half a billion could be so but let's bring it right down to 100 million 100 million people praying to the lord every day throughout the day he hears every prayer answers every prayer when he wants to no language goes over his head. Christ would would uh, would speak at least three to five languages, maybe more, of course. Paul would be the same. The Jews are very uh, linguistic. That's a picture of power, incidentally. I mean, that's power, for God to hear every single prayer, 24-7. Spanish, Catalan, French, Chinese, uh, Japanese, English, French, uh, Scandinavian, uh, Danish, Filipino, Albanian, Russian italian uh all those indian dialects many indian dialects indonesian many indonesian dialects i mean it goes on and on and on and on and on but here david is no doubt speaking to the lord in hebrew my voice he says my voice shout thou here in the morning O lord absolutely in the morning will i direct my prayer unto thee and will look up now he's looking up but for today we don't need to look up because we have god living inside of us there's a huge difference when it comes to dispensationalism. Yes, David was saved. Saved by his faith in Jehovah. He received imputation. But the new birth, Father, Son and Spirit living inside of the believer is a New Testament doctrine. That's why we don't pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So on and so forth. We don't need to pray that prayer. Because our salvation, although it's in the present tense, we are seated right now in the heavenly places with Christ. But God lives inside of us, down in the earth. Whereas for David... A thousand B.C.'s looking up. My voice shout, they hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. Again, day five, uh, or day two, I should say, from Psalm 5 and Psalm 4, the first night of the first day, going back to Psalm 3. So this instance is taking at least two to three days to come to a conclusion. Like I said a few moments ago, this is a great pitch of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For three days and three nights, His body is in the tomb upon death. His spirit goes to be with the Father, but his soul goes into hell. And I'll discuss that in a few moments' time. Look at verse 4 from Psalm 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Absolutely so. And yet you speak to some hyper-Calvinists, like the late Arthur Pink, or even John Calvin, and other infamous Calvinists. They would say that God ordains... Sin, I think James White holds to such a belief But here, for thou art not a god That hath pleasure in wickedness Neither shall evil dwell with thee Keep your hand there and go to Psalm 40 What did I say? Isaiah, excuse me Isaiah 45 Isaiah 45 Isaiah 45 Isaiah 45 Look at verse uh seven i form the light jehovah speaking and create darkness of course light darkness darkness and light goes back to physical light physical darkness the sun comes up the sun goes down the moon comes up the moon goes down but it goes on colon i make peace and create evil i the lord do all these things and most people if they read isaiah 45 7 will say well there you are you see god creates evil he's the author of sin which of course is a heretical statement to make. I form the light and create darkness. Light, also a great picture for salvation. And darkness, a great picture for evil. I make peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. Second Advent. And for now we have peace with God. Romans 5. And create evil. Evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Go to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Before the book of Psalms. If you're trying to find it. Uh, Job chapter 2 Job chapter 2 look at verse 10 but he said unto her being his wife of course thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh what shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil and all these things did Job not sin with his lips look at verse 9 just to get the context again then said his wife unto him dost thou still retain thine integrity curse God and die such helpful advice from his wife then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh, one of the ignorant women that you find over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 44, which were worshipping Mary, offering sacrifices to Mary. Ignorance, stupidity, arrogance, idolatry, of course. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Evil. And shall we not receive evil? And all these things did not Job sin with his lips. Sometimes evil is the absence of good. Go back to Psalm 2. So yes, wait, that's Psalm 5, excuse me. So yes, the Lord creates evil. He allows evil to come along. He will allow people to fall into their own sins, their own traps, their own schemes. He will allow people to ruin themselves. It could be Grace Kelly, who married a very famous prince in Monaco. And it was a very difficult marriage to begin with. And what her mother said to her, well, you've made your bed, Gracie, so you need to lie in it now. And after moving to Monaco, south of France, a very beautiful part in Europe, a very wealthy, affluent part of uh, Europe, not long after moving there, she wanted to go back to Hollywood. I think it was Hitchcock who had tried to woo her back to make another movie. And uh, I think he went to visit her, actually, in the south of France to say, hey, Gracie, I've got a film script for you, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, She so wanted to go back. But her mother said, no, you can't go back. And her husband said, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay put. And maybe 10, 15 years later, she got involved with a cult, a satanic cult. And her death to this day is still very mysterious as to how she died in a car crash. But my point is this. She made her own bed. She had to lie in it, as do all of us, of course. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Look at verse 5. The foolish shall not stand in nice sight. Keep your hand there and go back to Psalm 1. And look at verse 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They won't stand, like be exonerated, when the judgment comes along. They will perish if they're not born again. And again, like I said a few weeks ago, the term uh, ungodly, unholy, unrighteous, always denotes unsaved people. Yes, you can be righteous, born again, and be ungodly. Like out of fellowship with the Lord. But you can't be unrighteous, unholy, and be saved. Doesn't work that way, of course. Psalm 5, 5 again. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Well, of course not. They can't stand. They will be destroyed when the judgment comes along. But again, from Psalm 1, 5. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners, like her people who have not been regenerated, in the congregation of the righteous. I'll come back to that in a minute. But 5, 5 again. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest, all workers of iniquity. Go to Proverbs chapter 6, after the book of Psalms, of course, if you're looking for it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, and I will pull all these verses together. Uh, The more I read this Bible, the more I fail to understand it, really, it's just like a circular book. Uh, You get the basics down, of course, but the more you read it, the more it just blows your mind. God wrote this book, it's obvious, isn't it? Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6, look at 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, at least six, much more of course, but here you're going you're to get at least six, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, you give somebody a dirty look, a proud look, you're proud of your heritage, you could be from China perhaps, or France, or America, or very proud of their nation, The Americans salute the flag every morning at school, they take it very seriously and if you uh, mock their flag or make fun of their country they get very upset about it. In France the current French president has now reinstated a form of national service, a form of uh, nationalism I suppose in France, for many years it was sliding in France and in China. You don't dare uh, dismiss or uh, make fun of past Chinese leaders if you do, after the gulags for you, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, like abortionists, doctors, nurses, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, going to and fro to where you shouldn't be going, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among his brethren, go back to Psalm 5, Psalm 5 again, the foolish, Shall not stand in thy sight. They will perish at the judgment. Thou hatest. All workers of iniquity. Go to Revelation chapter 21. I watched a video a few days ago. Of a Calvinist. A Calvinist preacher. I don't know the guy personally. I forget his name. And he was speaking about somebody. Who was criticizing Calvinism. And uh, he was taking verses out of context. And he went to Revelation uh, 21. And uh, didn't tell you that. This is the eternal states and if you were to listen to this preacher you would have thought that revelation 21 is for today and of course it's not get your dispensations people in the right place otherwise you will become a heretic revelation 21 revelation 21 look at verse 27 and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the lamb's book of life so the thousand year reign, first and foremost, going into the eternal states, is a place for the redeemed, the righteous, those that have been pardoned. How many of you people would open up your homes to strangers? None, of course. You'd be very picky who was to enter into your home. Or if somebody was to say this to you, every child in your streets uh, is your own personal child. You'd be deeply offended, wouldn't you? Some of the kids in your town are pretty uh, evil, pretty despicable. You say, no, they're not my kids. You'd be very upset about it, and therefore God is very selective as to who will enter into His kingdom. Those that have appropriated the atonement. So, uh, 27 again, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22, 22. Look at verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still; and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still; and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Jump down to verse uh, fifteen. For without, outside of dogs, ah, dogs are back again. Dogs going back to Numbers twenty. Dogs going back to Mark seven. Dogs being uh, in the context unsaved Gentiles. The Word of God says, a an unsaved woman is a dog. Uh excuse me, an unsaved woman is a pig, I should say, an unsaved woman is a pig, an unsaved man is a dog, that's how Jews, saved Jews, look at unsaved Gentiles, for without, outside of dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth, and maketh a lie, go back to Psalm 5, not through this piece of scripture yet, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight, David is speaking, he's got Absalom partly in mind, but again, this book is loaded with doctrine, not just devotional, which means joy, but doctrine, which means practical teaching to make it relevant for people living today. Thou hatest, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. I think it was Gandhi who said, uh, love the sinner, but hate the sin. But that's not Bible. Psalm 7 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. So just a quick brief recap, Revelation 21 22 deal with those that were never saved to begin with those that are outside of the kingdom those that will be born during the thousand year reign and die or those that will be born in the thousand year reign and kick against the king and will never be able to enter into his kingdom because their hearts are dead basically or go back to numbers 20 and uh, keep the gospels in mind numbers 20 you got the jews kicking against moses and aaron and the gospels you got the jews kicking against Jesus and John. Same sort of a thing. What did uh, somebody once say? The one thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 now. Most preachers will say, well, doctrine, or they'll say this, they'll say uh, iniquity is physical, like lying, stealing, uh, murdering, fornicating, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, etc, 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 which of course it is. Uh, but there's two sides to every coin. It's not just physical, it's also spiritual, And I want to spend a few moments this morning looking at Psalm 2 uh, concerning the spiritual meaning of the term iniquity. 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, look at verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Teach others also. 3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, jump down to verse six. The husbandman that laboureth must be first partaker of the fruits. Keep your hand there, and go to First Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter five. Look at verse seventeen. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. Go back to Second Timothy two six again. The husband, the husbandman that laboureth, laboureth he's working, he's studying, he's reading his Bible every day, he's planning messages, he's planning outreaches, he's planning articles, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's interceding for people, he's counselling people, he's working, he's labouring, the husbandman that laboureth must be first partaker of the fruits, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things, jump down to verse 15, study, 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 to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that Needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. Like people who are criticising you, or people who are speaking about papal encyclicals, or papal successions, apostolic successions, or uh, popes that go back to Peter, all that nonsense. But shun, push it away, shun, turn from it. Profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have aired, saying that the resurrection has passed already, and overthrow the faith, faith, faith of some, so what you say, can destroy people, and it was a few days ago, I watched a video online, a guy called Josh Harris, who I don't know, an evangelical preacher, who wrote two best-selling books, about 10 years ago, on dating, on relationships, on marriage, and these two books, hit the best-selling uh, list, Uh, New York Times and uh, all the other book markets I'm not up on these things but they sold very well made him a millionaire overnight basically and uh, he got into trouble with his books some of the teachings that he was uh, advocating were problematic and he had a crisis of faith and he put himself through seminary he realised that his theology wasn't particularly good like standing in state like justification, imputation, uh, redemption uh, regeneration, adoption, so on and so forth And he came out of seminary, tried to repair some of the damage, and then he put a a note up on his Instagram channel saying he was separating from his wife. Uh, Then he said, I'm going to divorce my wife. And about 18 months ago, he said, I'm leaving the church altogether. I have renounced Christianity. And the journalist who was interviewing him said, "Uh, you've ruined many people, uh, Mr. Harris. You advocated uh, in your books a particular message. I'm not sure what he was advocating, but it ruined many people. And people were saying that they married the wrong people because of this guy's influence. He was pastoring a mega church somewhere in America. So sometimes people can ruin you, like uh, yes, 17 and Philetus, by what they say, not what they do. Look at verse 19. This really seals it. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal... The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So iniquity isn't just physical sins, like sins of the flesh, found over in Romans chapter 1. It can be by what you say and what you do. I often think about these famous Christian celebrities, and I wonder sometimes if they've all lost their faith. I wonder. I mean, let's say you are pastoring a church, and you're getting seven figures coming in every year. I mean, who makes that kind of money on Civvy Street? Nobody does and you're making seven figures a week, or seven figures a year, I should say, seven figures a year, you wouldn't make that money anywhere else, would you? So what are you going to do? You're going to stay put, aren't you? You're going to keep preaching and teaching, even though you've lost your faith years ago. And Josh Harris, a great example, somebody who is preaching a false message, is guilty of what Paul tells us about, from 2 Timothy 2, has overthrown the faith of some, verse 18, has shipwrecked the faith of some, but jump down to verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, Physical sins of the flesh, like us say, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them at call on the Lord out of a pure heart. John to twenty four. And the servants of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. The whole context is about false doctrine, false teaching. It's about not being guilty of iniquity, like Calvinism, Lordship, salvation, or kicking against the Trinity, teaching that God is one person in three parts. When he's three persons in one God. Or one God in three persons. Triunity. Trinity. Stuff like that. Apt to teach. Patient. 25. In meekness. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure, Perhaps. I will give them repentance. To the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves. Out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. So you can be saved. Be deceived. Be destroyed. When it comes to your relationship with the Lord. And here, twenty-five, twenty-six, isn't speaking about unsaved people. It's speaking about saved people, coming to their senses in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance, not to be saved, but to the acknowledging of the truth, true doctrine. That's the context, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. First Timothy, please. First Timothy, uh, chapter one. First Timothy chapter 1 look at verse 18 Uh, this charge i commit unto thee son timothy and no he's not calling timothy his uh literal son and nor is timothy calling him father paul don't uh, be foolish about that but timothy was his son in the faith you were told back in the book of acts that timothy had an unsaved father who was a greek from memory an unsaved gentile which for the jews would have been thought of as being a dog in fact if you look at your new bibles they change that word dog from mark 7 to a pet but it's still a dog it's still an animal eating a crumbs that fall from their master's table and that offends a lot of people today a lot of christian leaders don't like the idea that jesus would call gentiles dogs but peter called an unsaved woman a pig and uh, john told you about dogs outside of the kingdom revelation in the context unsaved men this charge i commit unto thee son timothy according to the prophecies which went according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them Midas war, a good warfare, not physical warfare, spiritual warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. There you are, you see, shipwreck, like Josh Harris. Like many heretics, false teachers, I think it was uh, the, late, the late Jack Hiles' daughter, gave an interview some years ago, I'm not familiar with Hiles' ministry, but I know during his day he was a very popular Baptist preacher, he was... Uh, Somebody who had a lot of authority, had the biggest Sunday school in America, I believe, at the height of his fame, from the 70s right up until the early 90s. And he owned half of his town where he lived. He owned all the properties that his children lived in, apparently. And his daughter was saying, she's about 50-something now, that her father was a cult leader, basically. Ruined her, ruined her siblings. Had mistresses all over the place, apparently. Was making an absolute fortune through the tithing scandal. People were tithing. I mean, his church, one of his churches had about... 20,000 people turning up, astronomical amount of people, all tithing 10%, and he was buying properties all over the town, I forget where he was based, Uh, but the point is, his teaching, his behaviour destroyed his daughter's faith, she's now an atheist, she's an atheist, like Josh Harris, if you go online, type in ex-Christians, former Christian, former Christians, so many websites come up, so many articles appear, videos, blogs, of course, First John chapter 2 says they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed with us. But they went out from us because they were not any of us. Basically arguing that they were never saved to begin with. But you see how difficult it can be and how problematic, problematic it can be. And even for people who are saved, they can have their faith just destroyed, shredded. But they're still saved. But most of these people that I'm speaking about this morning, like Jack Hiles' daughter and Josh Harris, I don't believe were ever saved to begin with. I believe for Hiles' daughter, she was born into that Baptist system, independent Baptist system. And for Harris, he was born into, or he was raised, he adopted that evangelical system. And again, you've got seven figures coming in every year. Could be a million, could be five million, could be 10 million. Who's going to turn that money down? Who's going to say to themselves, this money is too much, I'm going to go and work at the supermarkets, or in a warehouse or a factory? Nobody would, of course. They're going to stay put. And that's why you never, you never hear about popes or cardinals ever resigning, because the money is too good, but for them, the power is too good, one final time, this charge, one eighteen, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, which went which went before on thee, that thou by them, mightest war, a good warfare, holding faith, and a good conscience, which some have been put away, concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered, unto Satan, that they may learn, not to blaspheme, Go back to Psalm 5. So there was, poss- there was a possibility that these two characters could come back to repentance. Going back to Second Timothy chapter 2. That God may grant them repentance. That they may come back to themselves and get back into fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Just look at it again. Not quite through with it yet. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight when the judgment comes around. Their names will not be written in the Lamb's book of life. And off off they go to hell forever. That's pretty devastating. But on top of that, thou hatest not dislikes, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God hates false teachings and false teachers, which puts your average Christian in a bit of a difficult situation because you may have friends who are teaching Calvinism, perhaps, or Lordship Salvation, or Modalism. We have a brother in our Facebook group who's come out of the Modalist movement and he put a post up a few weeks ago and he said, uh, I am convinced that the judgment seats I will have to answer for my blasphemy of attacking the Trinity, of uh, coming against it. And I'm expecting, he said, to be severely chastised for that. It's possible, but he has repented, and he's no longer a modalist heretic. He is a Trinitarian. So I don't see why he should be punished or uh, chastised at the judgment seat of Christ. But he's still living with that shame, that uh, awkwardness, that uneasiness that he was caught up in the modalist movement. Look at verse six, I may come back to verse five later. Look at verse six psalm five six Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man, leasing old English for lies thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing that tell lies are perpetually lying basically thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. the Lord will abhor He will hate the bloody and deceitful man. Like a bloodthirsty person. Go to Revelation 21. If you think of Bloody Mary for example. She was King Henry's legitimate child. Born to Catherine of Oregon. I think that's correct. Uh, Catherine was from Spain of course. And I've always felt sorry for Catherine. Uh, she was a Catholic of course. But she did love Henry. And they had a child together. But Henry was a devil possessed man. In fact I've got one figure that said he, he murdered 72,000 people. 72,000 mostly protestant of course but Catherine would love uh Henry VIII like i say and she gave him Mary a very disturbed young woman a catholic through and through uh would worship catholicism was devil possessed like her father and uh as she was growing up she would replace Edward who was king for a very short period of time he was no more than 17 i think when he died and uh, Catherine took, not Catherine, Mary took the throne uh, from her brother, and it was difficult days in Britain, dark days in Britain, and she was absolutely obsessed with Catholicism, and she tried to conceive, and she thought she was pregnant on two occasions, and of course they're both false alarms. Uh, Revelation 21, Revelation 21, I'll get there shortly, and uh, she made the statement that she thought God was punishing her because she wasn't a- she wasn't able to bring uh, Britain. Back to uh, Catholicism. But of course he wasn't punishing her for that. He was punishing her because she was trying to do that. And she wouldn't be able to conceive seed. And over her time in office. I think in five years. uh, Yeah. In a period of around five years. She would kill hundreds of people. She was 42 when she died. And she would murder Ridley, Latmer and uh, Cramner. She would also murder her own cousin. Lady Jane Grey. Who was only 16 years of age. 16. Along with her 17 year old husband. So, Bloody Mary is the sort of person that we are reading about in Psalm five five. Uh, again, Psalm five uh, six. Excuse me, Psalm five six. How the Lord will destroy them that speak le- uh, speak leasing, speak lies, tell lies. The Lord will abhor the bloody, the bloodthirsty, and deceitful man. And Revelation twenty one. Uh, Revelation uh, twenty one. Revelation twenty one. Like verse uh, eight really seals their future, but the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, like bloody Mary, and whoremongers, like her father, and sorcerers, like uh, Balaam, back in the Old Testament, and idolaters, like your Catholics, and all liars, all liars, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire, which burneth with fire, and brimstone, which is a second death, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, they lied to uh, Tyndale. Henry VIII lied to Tyndale. He sent men over to Belgium to find Tyndale. They deceived him. They lied to him. He was murdered. And he's gone down in history as one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Yes, he was a Calvinist. I know he was a Calvinist. Into the tulip, I know that. And that's why it's so uh, tricky at times how you deal with... People who go into heresy teach limited atonement, which I've just shown you from Numbers 20, isn't Bible. But Tyndale, to his credit, put the Bible into English. He was the first to do so. When the King James was translated, 80% of his work, they didn't change. They went to all the old Bibles before they sat down in 1604, was it? They looked at every Bible that had ever been put out. The jury Rhyme, the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, Tyndale's Masterpiece. And they said, we can't improve on this. And 80% of your King James Bible comes from uh, Tyndale. Liars shall have their parts in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Go back to Psalm 5, and I'll close shortly. Psalm 5, 6, one final time. Psalm 5, 6. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. He will destroy Mary. She was so wicked. She was so depraved. She's gone down in history. as not only been called Bloody Mary, but there are drinks named after her. Bloody Mary. I think it's a cocktail. I've never had one myself. But it's pretty powerful. It will blow your head off apparently. It's a very powerful drink. But she was wicked. She was depraved. She was very close to Cardinal Pole. P-O-L-E. Cardinal Pole. Who was a spiritual advisor. And apparently he would refuse the Jesuits permission to enter England. Oh and that's true. I sometimes wonder about that. But she would fit Psalm uh, 5, 6 very well as would Pablo Escobar, Colombia's infamous warlord. But we will discuss him next Sunday. So Psalm 5, 5 reads again, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest, all workers of iniquity. And the moment you read it, you see it is in the present tense. And yet if you go to John 3:16, For God so loved the world, past tense, that he gave, past tense, his only begotten Son, so on and so forth. So you are left with, A dilemma, what do you do? Psalm 5 is in the present tense, how the Lord hates all workers of iniquity. And John 3.16 makes it very clear how God loved the world, past tense. So if you go to Luke chapter 6, and I'm reading through Luke at the moment and Deuteronomy. uh, We read in uh, Luke chapter 6, an interesting uh, couple of verses, which is also found over in uh, Matthew five, but as I'm reading through Luke at the moment, I want to uh read these verses this morning and record them uh, Luke six thirty five Jesus speaking but love ye your enemies unlike every other religious system they always say this if your enemy crosses you get back at them it was Robert Kennedy who would say forgive your enemies but get even first but here but love ye your enemies and do good, and land, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful, and to the evil, be therefore merciful, as your father also is merciful, so you are left with three verses, which are all basically saying the same thing, but from, uh, but from three different perspectives, Psalm 5 says that God hates all workers of iniquity, and last week I showed you, it wasn't just what you say, but what you do, and that is in the present tense, like the wrath of God abides, continue to abide on those that won't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 3, but also from John 3, how God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth on him, in him, would not perish, be destroyed, suffer everlasting torment and anguish, but be saved, of course. And one last time from Luke six thirty-five, But love... Ye, your enemies, incredibly difficult, I know, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. We call this common grace. God does love his creation, he does have an interest in his creation. Uh, Some faith systems don't accept that, but the Word of God says he does love the world, he has an interest in the world. Send his son to die for the sins of the world. All of the world without exception. But Psalm 5 makes the case. And go back to Psalm 5 one more time. The foolish, unlearned, ignorant, unregenerate. Shall not stand in thy sight. Like when the judgment comes around. And the books are opened. And the Lamb's book of life is opened. And maybe a hundred billion names are going to be read out. And if your name isn't one of those names. Off to hell you go forever. Thou hatest, present tense. All workers of iniquity a few days ago i was watching a video online one of our friends of the ministry one of our brothers a good brother a good friend of the ministry and he was condemning quite rightly a heretic who was arguing that christ upon death went to hell and burnt for three hours a stupid and blasphemous heresy and this friend of the ministry was quite rightly responding and uh, pointing out the nonsense of such a belief point by point verse by verse and he said this he said i don't hate you but i hate what you stand for I hate what you are teaching. And I thought, I know where he's coming from, but technically speaking, he should hate the heretic. It would be Gandhi who would say, love the sinner, hate the sin. And yet he got that from Augustine. Augustine was the first to come out, to come out with such a statement. And in 1929, Gandhi liked it when he heard it, and he would adopt it as his own. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. But that doesn't go with scripture. And yet, and also he would say, never met a Christian, very true. And yet... Luke 6 says you are to love your enemies. You are to do good to those that despitefully use you. Which is found over in the Gospel of Matthew. Because the Lord loves the unthankful, the unholy and the evil. Yes, it's a paradox. I will grant you that. Psalm 5, look at 6 again. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. That like to spread lies, practice falsehood. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. So last Sunday we looked at Bloody Mary. And incidentally, this will be week number 12, month number 3. And as of last Sunday, we have recorded seven and a half hours of material so far. This will be, no doubt about it, the longest study ever. And we touched very briefly on Bloody Mary, Britain's most infamous leader, I suppose. She would murder many people, not directly, of course, indirectly. And if you think of someone like Elizabeth I, her half-sister, completely different to Mary. Elizabeth believed in freedom, believed in the ability to worship, as one felt led to do so, whereas Mary didn't believe such a thing. She would suppress anybody who would come against her. She would murder those that would cross her. And like I said last Sunday, she would kill her own cousin, Lady Jane Grey, along with her young husband. And over her five years uh, running Britain, she was ruthless, and she would be consulting her papists, Every day of the week, and her goal was to bring Britain back to Catholicism. Contrast that to her sister Elizabeth, who was fighting to free Britain from the papacy. And if you think of that movie which came out maybe late 90s, Elizabeth I, uh, starring Kate Blanchett, I think it was from memory, uh, the Australian actress, I think it was Kate Blanchett. Yeah. She made two movies about Elizabeth I. Fascinating to watch, very accurate as well. There's a scene in the first movie where she's just been crowned queen. Mary has died childless, 42, I think, from memory. And she's being advised by her advisors that Britain is basically bankrupt, is surrounded by Catholic countries, like 1939. Britain was bankrupt, surrounded by Catholic countries. The Germans were on the move. And she was told by her advisors that the Papists are wanting to acclaim Britain. They saw Elizabeth as a weak monarch and in the early days she certainly was. There's a great scene in the movie when she goes into one of her many, many rooms, and she looks at this painting that was painted by Holborn, the famous painting of Henry VIII, and she's almost speaking to the, uh, the painting, but not quite, but she's, in a sense, meditating, I suppose. It's a sort of Catholic scene in some ways, although she wasn't a Catholic, she was a Protestant, and she's saying to her father, basically, that when he was alive, nobody would have dared move against Britain, and, of course, he's dead, and she's looking for help. And it's like it's my belief that once uh, Walsingham came onto the scene, he would protect her, protect Britain, and under her rule and reign, was it 44 years from memory, Britain prospered abundantly. The Spaniards would launch a crusade, an Inquisition, the Spanish Armada against Britain. If you think of Goering launching the uh, Waffen SS against Britain, Battle of Britain, 1940 was it. Failed terribly, and the Spanish armada was launched against britain from spain failed miserably and she was able to repel catholic aggression and of course churchill was also able to repel catholic aggression of course most of the third reich were roman catholic i'm sure you understand and also it says the deceitful man go back to the 1980s 1990s think about Colombia for a few moments think about someone like pablo escobar uh, Colombia's most notorious warlord And drug baron for maybe 10, 15, 20 years. He was indirectly running the country. Uh, Leaders came and went. Presidents came and went. And he was calling us shots. You couldn't move. You couldn't breathe. You couldn't uh, do anything without him knowing about it. Every street corner in Colombia had spotters, watchers, that were watching uh, for the police to come and arrest Escobar and his many uh, cohorts. He was the most evil man that Colombia has ever produced. And yet at the same time, You've got to admire him. It was Goering who would say during World War II, during the Nuremberg trials, that in 100 years from now, you'll all be talking about me. How right he was. Yeah. And here we are, what, 30 years on or 20 years on from the death of Escobar, we're still talking about him. And if you think of the Cali cartel in uh, Colombia, and the Cali cartel was known as the KGB, basically. They knew everything about Colombia, inside and out. Drug runnings back and forth, the DEA, the American DEA, were trying to squash Colombia's drug exports. They had many uh, victories, but they also had many failures. Well, towards the end of Escobar's life, he was only 44 when he died, a bit like uh, Mary, who was 42. He would say that when Julius Caesar was 44, he would conquer Britain. And, of course, you know that when Mary died, she got a requiem mass, and when Escobar died, he too got a requiem mass, a Catholic country, you see. In fact, Escobar's mother was a very pious woman, would go to Mass regularly, and one Christmas Eve, she wanted to go to Midnight Mass, and part of Escobar's existence, along with his uh, colleagues in Cali and Bogota, would be that they'd have to move from house to house, every every other day, what a way to live. And she went to Midnight Mass, uh, one Christmas, she sneaked out sort of the mansion that he was hiding in, along with his wife and two children. She was spotted by one of Escobar's enemies, And she was followed back to the mansion. A firefight broke out. And uh, Escobar's wife's sister. Excuse me. Escobar's wife's brother. Was shot dead in the crossfire. So that's the type of people. That the book of Psalms. Is speaking about. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. uh, Look at verse 7. But as for me. But as for me. There's a contrast. David is speaking. And he's just spent several verses. Telling you what the Lord hates. What he abhors. Not just what you say, but what you do. Not just what you do, but what you say. But as for me, 5-7. I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Keep your hand there and go to Psalm 11. It could be that David has got the temple in the third heaven in mind. Psalm 11, Psalm 11. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. Heaven, not on the earth, of course. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. Go back to Psalm 5. So it could be like I say, David, yes, is partly picturing the temple that Solomon would build, one of the seven wonders of the world. But in the mind of David, he's got God's temple in heaven in mind. Again, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What goes on down here is being mirrored upstairs. What is happening upstairs is being mirrored down here. Another paradox. You are told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in the heavenly places. Many times, if you feel you are under attack, if you feel you are being held down, if you feel you're being beaten, if you feel physically unwell, if you feel under par, what have you, the chances are that you could be being attacked by the devil. Unclean spirits operating in sight of unsaved people, even in animals. There was an awful story in the paper this past week of a dog walker, somewhere down south, and she was walking her dog, and all of a sudden this mad dog came out of nowhere, I think it was a musket, yeah, yeah. or mus- mascot. Mascot. mascot, one of those very violent dogs, and went for this poor woman's dog, got its uh, teeth into the neck of the dog, uh, ripped it to shreds like a rag doll, and this poor dog was left bleeding to death, and this lady got, it, got her phone out, challenged the woman in question, and she said to this woman, uh, ''Who are you? What's your name?'' You know, what's going on here? Your dog is crazy. Your dog is out of control. And that poor dog died. And I thought, who would you phone if that happened? Would you phone the police? Who would you phone to take the dog away? The RSPCA? I mean, I wonder what you'd do if that was to happen. It's a nice, beautiful day. You're walking your dog. And all of a sudden, this dog comes out of nowhere and kills your dog. Perhaps an unclean spirit was inside of the dog. I don't know. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Incidentally, the word holy uh, first appears back in Exodus. And go to Exodus chapter 3. If you study hermeneutics, uh, you are always told to mark out the first time a word appears. Like the word sinner or sinners uh, first appears in Genesis 13, 13. Count to 13. And that is connected with sodomy. Uh, the word love, incidentally, uh, first appears in Genesis 22. Uh, concerning Abraham offering up Isaac. Uh, but the first time the word holy appears is Exodus 3, uh, verse 5. God speaking. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Don't come too near to me. Don't come here or don't come near. Put off thy shoes and off thy feet. God is speaking to Moses, of course. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So holy ground is connected with the land First and foremost, but it's also holy because God is present. Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Go back to Psalm 5 again. Psalm 5 again. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, will I worship toward thy holy temple, And yet Psalm 2, 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So holy, holiness, first appears, connected with God, connected with the land, the land, like the land of Israel, which is holy. Love is connected with Isaac, a type of Christ. For God so loved the world, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And of course sinner, sinners, is connected with sodomy, immorality. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. This book is a circle. I keep saying it, but it's true. The more you read it, the less you understand it. And yet the more you read it, the more you understand it. It is a paradox, of course. Because every verse in the Bible can be taught historically, prophetically, doctrinally, spiritually. And we're just reading through the fifth psalm. These psalms could be sung, incidentally. You could dance to the uh, reading of the psalms. But for the purpose of this recording, for this study, we will read verse by verse and attempt to cross-reference. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It is true that the more uh, evil a person is, the more deplorable a person is, the more depraved a person is. It could be Bloody Mary, like I say. It could be Pablo... Escobar or it could be uh, Herman Goering the more we are fascinated with such people books continue to be written about such people Uh, programs, movies continue to be made against such people, about such people and yet the good and the great for the most part are neglected and that's a tragedy isn't it we all know about the infamy of Colombia's warlords, the police were corrupted the army officials were corrupted the president was corrupted the prime minister was corrupted Uh, it was said that Escobar knew everyone in Colombia and uh, if you tried to stop him in in his early days if you tried to challenge him in his early days he would be able to put you on the spot in fact there's one account when he was crossing one of the bridges in Colombia uh, near Bogota for memory and the army stopped him it was a convoy of cars he was a bootlegger basically like Joe Kennedy was uh, pre-prohibition And they said to him, uh, stop, 15 trucks loaded with cocaine, heroin, marijuana, you name it. And they said to him, where are you going? And they knew who he was, of course. And he said, I'm going from A to B. I think he was taking his material or his his, uh, contraband to uh, Mexico. And they said to him, "Uh, you can't go any further. This is illegal, so and so forth. And he said, you are Colonel such and such. Your wife is such and such she's very ill at the moment you are major such and such you have a son called such and such you you are now a grandfather and your grandchild is born in such and such a hospital you are captain such and such you have a uh, ailing mother who's uh getting over cancer you are private such and such engaged to be married to such and such i mean he knew all these people he knew everyone and of course when he started to put these people onto this on, on the spot they realized that if they were to question him he'd kill them all he was brutal In fact, the Cali cartel would use chainsaws to cut people's heads off if you crossed them. And in Mexico, at the height of its infamy, they were producing more marijuana than any other country on the face of the earth. Catholic countries, papists, not Protestants. People say that Elizabeth I wasn't a saved woman. She probably wasn't saved, but she was more considerate, more... uh, Gracious than her Catholic counterparts on the continent. I always like to remind people about this. People said that Cromwell was a bloodthirsty killer, which he wasn't. Yes, he would kill people, but he wasn't as notorious as his Catholic counterparts were. Bloody Mary was murdering people left, right, and centre. She was devil possessed. She was a lunatic. She worshipped her own religion. And like I say, when she died, along with Escobar and most of the Cali cartel in the late 1990s, all received Catholic requiem masses. And of course, even Adolf Hitler would receive a requiem mass. Mm. Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse uh, 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Pre the new birth, pre the new covenant, if you were a Gentile, you had no hope, uh, you were lost in the world. Uh, you had no peace, you had no joy, you had no way to be reconciled to Almighty God. In fact, verse 12 says, you were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Pretty depressing, isn't it? If you are a Gentile pre the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, you will be judged by your conscience. Romans chapter 2, if you died before Christ came, and if you were a Gentile before Christ came, you will be judged by your conscience, Romans 2, like I say, and he will judge you by what you did concerning your conscience. And yet you think you, you look at someone like Escobar, no conscience, no understanding of right or wrong, and yet, like I say, would receive a recriminance upon death. As would Joe Kennedy, as would Dolly Sinatra, the Catholic abortionist, as would all your favorite famous Catholic heroes, Bing Crosby, Perry Como, D. Martin, etc., etc., etc. Look at verse 20. And are built. Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, himself being the chief cornerstone. We stand or fall, based on the rock of all ages, of course. The house is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, if you think of the cross, Christ hanging on a cross, a picture of the chief cornerstone, of course. In whom, 21, all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit, a spiritual tabernacle, a spiritual temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Go back to Psalm 5, please. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Lead me, O Lord, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Lead us not into temptation. For thine is the glory and the power and the glory forever and amen. You understand, of course. One more time. Lead me, O Lord, David speaking. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness. He's not trusting in his own righteousness. Because of mine enemies. And he had many enemies, of course. Make thy way straight before my face. John the Baptist would also say something similar to this. In fact, go back to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3. And yet when David speaks, Messiah is speaking. Double application, of course. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Luke, uh, chapter 3. Most of what you read in Luke is only found in Luke. Although it's part of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a good amount of material in Luke's Gospel is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And most of what you read in John's Gospel, like 80%, is only found in John's Gospel. Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, wrote the Gospel of Luke. And, of course, the Apostle John would write the the, uh, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, Luke 4, Luke 4, make that Luke 3, excuse me. Luke 3, Luke 3, uh, look at verse 4 as it is written in the book of the words of isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord make his path straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of god go back to psalm 5 so once again david is speaking but there's a messianic connotation here John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, both dressed the same way, both spoke the same way, both were rough and ready, uh, Elijah could do miracles, John could not, Elijah would kill people, John would not, and yet they both had the same spirits and the same anointing. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, not his own, and we spent a bit of time last week looking at the difference between David's standing and David's states his trusting in God's righteousness and later on trusting in his own righteousness. But we'll discuss that a little later, of course. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not, lead us not, lead us not into temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's good to pray. It's good to ask the Lord to direct your steps, to go before you. Elizabeth had many people that were advising her. She wasn't a saved woman, like I say, but she was better than the alternative. And when she came into the room where her father's painting was displayed, Holborn's masterpiece, she started to, again, I won't say pray to the painting, but she was petitioning, in a sense, her late father's memory as a lost sinner would do, but she said basically that they wouldn't dare have taken on Britain during Henry's reign, and she was absolutely right, she needed help, and of course Walsingham was sent to support her, as were many other aides, people were praying for her 24-7, and during her 44 years, at the top of the reign, top of the realm, Britain was prosperous, successful, we basked, we blossomed, we became very advanced in science, uh, in medicine, religious freedom, and if you were to look at France or Spain, or Italy at the same time, backward countries, very backward countries. It was said after World War II, when the Americans arrived in parts of Italy to uh, free some of the Italians from Mussolini's grip and Hitler's grip. A lot of German soldiers were in Italy during World War II, of course, and even after they were still present, until the Allies kicked them out. They found many Italians uh, living in caves, living in huts, yeah. no electricity, no electricity something like a third world country 1944 1945 and of course to this day if you go to France or Italy or Spain yes you have more freedom than you had maybe 45 50 years ago but you're still heavily limited we were in Spain a few years ago doing some street work in Barcelona with our wonderful family and friends in Catalonia and we had a great outreach met some interesting people gave out a lot of tracks I street preached outside of one of the most uh famous cathedrals in barcelona the holy family i think it is from memory mm. uh santa familiar from memory uh they're still building it it's been a building for many many years and yet we had to be very careful what we could and couldn't do and uh i was preaching outside this cathedral like i say and this police officer or local authority uh, local authoritarian came over to me maybe in a private security guard i don't know and he wasn't very happy with yours truly preaching outside this cathedral and uh, he wanted to phone the police, I'm sure of that. And I spoke to him, he spoke very good English, incidentally. And the law stepped in, I think, diffused it. And we were able to go on our way and uh, live to fight another day. It's not much better here, incidentally, even in Britain. Yes, you have freedom of speech, but it's very limited. There are some things you cannot say. There are some things you cannot do. There are three groups that run this country. Three groups. And I can't name them. If I was to name them, I would be censored. This message would be taken down and i'm not exaggerating either there are three groups that run this country they are the mafia never mind escobar a catholic drug dealer bribing everyone left right and center blackmailing people getting the police to dance to his own tune and working closely with other infamous uh criminals in mexico and panama and uh el salvador and elsewhere in this country, we have to be very, uh, very careful what we say and do, because we too could find ourselves under the cosh of the law. But one last time, five eight, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Go before me, dear Lord. I can't handle this situation on my own. This is the Absalom incident. It's still running on. It must have felt like forever for King David to put this incident uh, incident behind him. But of course he couldn't. It would run its course naturally. And here David is wanting the Lord to step in. And he's trusting in his righteousness. The Lord's not his own. And it's important that we say that of course. Look at verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. The lost, unsaved, unregenerate. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. They are smooth and slick when it comes to having the gift of the gab. If you think of preachers, many good preachers, and they are good preachers, they can preach the word of God. But many good preachers are also false teachers, false preachers. They want your money. Most of what you see online is basically a business. And I was looking online a few days ago to see how many of the mega churches in America are still open, are still preaching, are still working, are still serving their communities. And I couldn't find many at all. Most of these superstar ministries, mega churches, are now live streaming their messages from home. And you go to their websites, page after page after page, buy this, get a discount, buy that, get a discount, buy pastors, sermons or studies on the Gospel of John. Uh, And if you buy it, you get a 10% discount or buy his latest book or buy his latest DVD. They're able to seduce their, their parishioners through seduction, not physical seduction, of course, but spiritual seduction. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. In the context, this is dealing with Absalom's men, wicked men. And like I said a few weeks ago, this is a a coup d'etat. This is treason. This is treachery. This is the worst type of treason. I mean, your own child rising up against you, that's pretty uh, horrific. If you think of when Mary was dying, she had a meeting with her sister Elizabeth. And she didn't know what to do with her sister Elizabeth. And she said, uh, I will be dead soon. Of course, she got that right. And you must take Britain back to Catholicism, which she got that wrong, of course. And she wanted to kill Elizabeth. Her advisors wanted to kill Elizabeth, the Protestant heretic, quote unquote. And these two half sisters, siblings, same father, different mothers, went back and forth with each other. And she promised that she wasn't gonna uh do anything to undermine Elizabeth's excuse me, Mary's legacy, but she did promise Mary that she wouldn't take Britain back to being a Catholic country. She was honest about it. She stood firm. And Mary couldn't make up her mind. What should I do? I can't stand the idea of Britain, going back to being a Protestant nation. She blamed her father for that, and others, of course. And yet she was dying. She had a tumour, I think, for memory, and was severely disturbed and distressed. No doubt the most notorious woman that Britain has ever produced. And after many conversations between siblings, she allowed her sister to live. And like I say, once Mary died, Elizabeth would replace her. There were difficult days with Britain, dark days, During the beginning of Elizabeth's reign. But people were praying for her. And the Lord took pity on Protestant Britain. For there was no faithfulness in their mouth. Absalom and co. But uh, the bigger picture. Dealing with uh, workers of iniquity. Verse 5. And our friend, like I say. Put up a video a few days ago. Correcting the heresy that Christ went, uh, went to hell. And burnt for three hours. A blasphemous and ridiculous doctrine. And he was right to correct this ignorant heretic. And yet again, he said, but I don't hate you, I hate what you stand for. That's Augustine speaking, that's Gandhi speaking. But one five says, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Later on, David would say he hates all of God's enemies, he counts them as his own. And yet John 3.16, past tense, God loves the world, has given his son for the sins of the world. Luke 6, he's merciful to the evil, evil and unthankful. So you've got many verses, all telling you the same thing, but from different aspects, all coming from different uh, ways, if you will, coming at you from different angles. you You got, got, got to work these verses out for yourself. If you are a Bible teacher and if you, are, if you are a Bible student, what does it mean? Well, I would say this. Do what you can for your unsaved friends and family. Show compassion to those that you know are lost. Even Jude says to be careful uh, when you come across somebody who is lost. Don't even touch the garments. And if you can, pull them uh, from the flame, rescue them before they perish. But don't get too close to heretics or false teachers. Their inward part is very wickedness. their inward part is very wickedness. The heart is dead, uh, completely uh, cut off. No conscience like Escobar, like Mary, although she had a conscience, but it was Sid, it was controlled by the devil, or the Third Reich had no conscience. in fact it was said of Goering. He was more interested in the welfare of his parrots uh, than he was of people dying in death camps all over Germany. In fact, he would come home late at night, and uh, if it was late at night, he would put a covering over the parrot's cage before he put on the uh, light in the room. He didn't want to wake the parrot. And he got Jews that had been burnt to death. Uh, parts of the Jews' remains were turned into lampstands. Their teeth were pulled out, the gold was melted down. Uh, The hair was shaved off. In fact, I'm thinking of one famous celebrity. I better not name her. I may be sued. (laughs) But I'm thinking of one famous British celebrity, a very famous woman, who uh, likes to sell people's hair, and she gets this hair from poor children in third world countries. They sell their hair, I think, uh, for something like 50 cents. And this hair is sold to rich Westerners all over the world. And this wealthy English woman... Uh, is able to buy and sell this hair and many of her clients use this hair extensions, extensions to allow themselves a bit more pretty mm. more beautiful and yet the children that are cutting their hair off are living in shacks slums in peru perhaps or parts of south africa or india or sri lanka again this is a this is a wicked world this is the devil's world going back to what paul told you from second uh, second corinthians 4 4 Veil wickedness their throats is an open sepulchre it's like an open tomb they flatter with their tongue not just preachers but politicians and i've been following politics for far too long and i watched and i've listened to many uh, many speeches and i've read many biographies and autobiographies of many politicians over the years and i am now quite happy to say non-partisan i don't come out in support of this group or that group i'm too cynical And uh, I don't suffer fools gladly. And I'm also very suspicious of these uh, types of politicians. They can seduce you with their tongue. And I'm not against praying for leaders, but I won't support leaders per se. And preachers, yes, some are very good and some are probably saved, of course. But don't be too quick to endorse everything that they say. Look at verse 10. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions for they have rebelled against thee go back to numbers 20 please numbers 20 you see here david is calling for the destruction of the lord's enemies and yet elsewhere you were told to pray for your enemies matthew 5 verses 3 4 5 and 6 7 8 you see there's two dispensations two major distinctions between the old testaments and the new testaments i watched a real life documentary last night about uh, the uh, Hasidic community in parts of New York Uh, they speak uh, Yiddish which of course is German uh, Hebrew fascinating documentary, a true story of a woman who was raised in that Jewish community and she couldn't bear it and one day she decided to run from her husband she was pregnant, went to Germany where she found her biological mother who'd also left the Hasidic community Uh, this this is an ultra conservative A group of Jews, they mix in their own circles, they very rarely speak English, and she got to Germany, met her mother, she was estranged from her mother, it was a fascinating uh, documentary, and after she arrived in Germany, the rabbi, or rabbi as they pronounce it, sent the woman's husband and his cousin to Germany to find her, to bring her back to America, and they flew to Berlin, and when they arrived in uh, Berlin, they traced her, they tracked her down, she had met up with a uh, German orchestra she befriended some of the musicians in this orchestra and it was kind of sad really to see her uh, compromise so quickly to uh, embrace uh, depravity. A couple of guys in this orchestra were homosexuals and she had no problem with that. She went to a nightclub on a few occasions had no problem with that. She was pregnant and at the same time got into a relationship with a guy. I will spare the details but these guys arrived in uh, Germany and uh, the cousin uh, Mushai, which of course is Moses. Uh, Mushai is Hebrew for Moses, of course. He tracked down this Jewish woman, only 19 years of age, and he frog-marched her into a car. He drove her several blocks uh, with a colleague of his. Her husband was trying to find her, and Berlin is a, is a big city, I can tell you. We've been there, and so is Munich. And they found her, and he took her to a local park, and he said to her, basically, if you don't fly back to America, You will basically uh, fail to materialize. You will struggle to look after yourself and your unborn child. And he pulled a gun out. And he said to her, I won't kill you, but I suggest you kill yourself. And that spooked her so much that she ran to her mother's house, uh, made contact with her estranged mother. Uh, But the point is, she ran from a system which she couldn't live up to. And she said this, she said, uh, God asked too much of me. There's some truth in that. If you read the Old Testament, if you read Acts 15 sometime, even Peter would say, We can't live by these commandments. We can't follow what the Lord has asked us asked us to do. It's just too difficult. And that's why grace is so good. Numbers 20, Numbers 20, go back to verse 10 again. And Moses narrowed and gathered a congregation together, type of the church, of course, before the rock, Christ, the rock of all ages. And he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels, ye rebels. Must we fetch you aught out of this rock? There's our word again. Rebels. Go back to Psalm 5, 10 again. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. They would rebel back in Numbers 20. They would rebel back in First Samuel chapter 8. They would rebel in Matthew 27. They would rebel in Acts chapter 7. The Jews are a stiff-necked people. A, a uh, rebellious people. This woman... Couldn't hand, uh, handle it anymore living under the law. It was a very strict way of living. They don't have any contact with the outside world. They're not allowed to have mobile phones. And yet, this rabbi, or rabbi as he is called, gave a special dispensation to his men to carry mobile phones. And he would pay for the husband of this woman and, a, and his cousin to fly to Germany. And he said, If you find her, you bring her back. That baby belongs to our community. And he said, I will pardon you, I will pay all of your debts. So forth. And these two guys arrived in Germany. And the cousin went straight to the casino hall, was a chain smoker, got drunk on more than one occasion. The world was corrupting them, you see. They got corrupted so easily. And her husband went to a spa, had a rub down, as they say, and he too got corrupted very easily. But I'm very interested also from Psalm 5 uh, 10, the middle part. Let them fall by their own counsels. Counsels. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew chapter 10. The Council of Trent, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Laodicea. Uh, If you study councils in church history, you will discover very quickly, in the Council of Carthage, that they are basically set up by bloodthirsty people to murder God's people. Acts 15 speaks about a conference, not a council. It's so important that we get these terms right. The council, no, the conference in Jerusalem... Acts 15 was a conference, not a council, but in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, the word of God tells us more about this term for council or councils, Matthew 10, Matthew 10, Jesus speaking, look at verse 17, but beware of men, could be these two orthodox Jews flying from New York uh, to Berlin to track down this woman who was fleeing for her life, she was being suppressed, she couldn't breathe, her mother-in-law was always watching her, her Sisters-in-law were always watching her. She couldn't live uh, in such a system which was basically frozen in time. But of course, the Old Testament starts with a theocracy. Then it goes into a monarchy. Then it goes into a saviour or type of uh, system of saviours being raised up. That's what Judges is all about. And of course, it ends in apostasy. The last word in Malachi is coffin. And the last word in Genesis is... Coffin. Cursed coffin. So let me describe myself. The last word in Malachi is curse. And the last word in uh, Genesis is coffin. Cursed coffin. Every generation ends in apostasy. Every generation. But beware of men. Matthew 10:17. For they will deliver you up to the councils. To the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. This guy pulled a gun out on her. She was in floods of tears. Only 19 years of age. And he said, if you don't get back to America... You will ruin your life. You can't look after yourself or your daughter. But don't worry," he said. "I won't kill you. You need to kill yourself. Thankfully, she didn't kill herself. She survived, and so did they, the uh, the unborn child. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you should be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for testimony against them and the Gentiles. And yet, many times Jews sadly don't witness uh, to gentiles they dress a particular way they speak a particular way they think that is enough to please jehovah and it is not to matthew chapter 12 i've never known of a jew whether hasidic orthodox liberal secular what have you i've never known of a jew to ever share the truth about jehovah with anyone and these people think they're very holy by the way they dress by the way they speak and yes they may not enjoy 20th uh, 21st century uh Perks and pleasures, but they are very good with money. And they're not living back in the dark ages when it comes to money. They can tell you all about the dollar, the yen, the pound, and the euro. Uh, Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. uh, Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him. How they might destroy him. Such wonderful people, aren't they? Go back to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, one final time. Destroy thou them, David speaking. Jeremiah would say the same. He would say, Lord, kill my enemies. Don't allow them to live or breathe. Joshua would also kill the enemies of the Lord. Contrast that to the New Testament. Never once would the apostles carry weapons. Never once would they use weapons to defend themselves against enemies of the Lord. Paul was beaten many a time. So was Peter. So was John. If We go through church history. And how about the Reformation? We just discussed Bloody Mary. Ridley, uh, Ridley, Latimer, Cramner, just three names that come to mind. And we've been to Oxford, where there was a memorial plaque in honor of those three Protestant men, very brave men. And we spoke last week briefly about uh, the great uh, Tyndale, William Tyndale, who put the Word of God into English. All those guys were tortured, didn't retaliate, didn't fight back. There's one, there's one account from Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I forget the person's name, but. It tells the story of a of a guy in Holland, for memory, who was fleeing from the Papists who were coming to murder him, and he fell into, uh, he went through some very cold water, frozen water, and he swam from one side to the other. And the guy who followed him was a Catholic, and he got, he got into the water, got into trouble, started to drown. And this famous Protestant, whose name escapes me, turned around and saw this Catholic drowning, and he was crying out to him, saying, "Rescue me, save me! I can't swim," so on so forth, and. Uh, this Christian went back into the water, frozen water, dead of winter, rescued him, got him to the uh, riverbank, and he said, Now I've got you. And he took him back to the cell, and they murdered him. Mm. Good old Catholic, you see. Mm. Escobar, 44, when he died, it's nothing. Mary, Queen uh, Mary, bloody Mary, 42 when she died, and yes, Mary, Queen of Scots, not very old either, All Roman Catholic, all died, showed no mercy, no mercy to their Protestant subjects, And yet the Protestants that I've discussed this morning, all showed much more mercy than their Catholic counterparts. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Matthew 10, Matthew 12, Nicaea, Trent, so on and so forth. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. Numbers 20, Psalm 5. What do men learn from history? Men never learn from history, of course. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Go to Luke again. Only saved people can really experience joy. Luke 15, Luke 15. Escobar, at the height of his career, his career uh, was raking in, I think, $10 million a week. That was back in the 19, 19, uh, 1980s. 1980s, 1990s, right? Uh His colleagues in Mexico were making five, six, seven billion a year. But they weren't happy. They weren't joyful. Always living on the edge. Always looking over their shoulders. Waiting for the police to come. Waiting for the DEA to come. Waiting for an arrest warrant to be served. You can be saved. Poor and happy. These people were lost. Wealthy. But they weren't happy. And yet you can be saved. Poor and yet very happy. Luke 15. uh, Look at verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy, joy, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. They are rejoicing in heaven every time a sinner repents. People are still getting saved. I must tell you that. Uh, As long as there is breath inside of our bodies, there is a possibility people will be saved. But as these days get darker, fewer are going to be saved. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Escobar didn't repent as far as we know. Goering didn't repent as far as we know. Mary, whether in Scotland or in England, didn't repent as far as we know. And Henry VIII, as far as we know, also did not repent. I say unto you that likewise joy, 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 happiness, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth over or more than over 99 just persons. Just persons are self-righteous. And that's the sin of all sins. Uh, self-righteous. Arrogance. I don't need to repent. I'm a very clever person. They say I'm a good person. They say. It could be Elizabeth I. As far as I know, she never repented. She was a Protestant in name only. And yet she was a better queen than her uh, counterparts. Go back to uh, Psalm 5. And yet there's joint heaven. Over one sinner that repents. Uh... Concern those who do repent. Contrast that to the 99. 99 people. Persons which need no repentance. Never bend the knee. And they will suffer terribly for it. Uh, verse 12. And let's close. Psalm 5.12. For thou Lord. Wilt bless the righteous. With favour wilt thou compass him. As with a shield. The righteous. The redeemed. Those that are saved. Those that know they are saved. Those that have been born again. We are blessed. We are uh, protected with a shield uh in a sort of circular aspect if you will for thou lord wilt bless the righteous with favor wilt thou as him as with a shield and yet one quick verse to squeeze in uh go to mark 7 very briefly uh mark chapter 7 if you think about the two natures of the believer uh the old man and the new man and you may say well i don't believe in the two natures james well how about this are you happy to be sacrificed or are you happy to sacrifice yourself are you happy to suffer for the Lord. You say well I'm happy to suffer. I'm happy to sacrifice. Uh, for this or that. How about going without a meal. How about giving up tea or coffee. How about giving up this or that. How about giving your money to the mission field. Your old man says no. Your old man says no. I don't want to give it up. Your old man says I like to eat what I want when I want. I like to drink coffee and tea and latte when I want. I like to enjoy my sports when I want to. I like to do this. I like to do that. That's your old man. That's your old man. If you are saved. Uh, Mark 7. Mark 7. Now Mark 7. This will tie nicely with uh, Psalm five nine, Which says how uh, there's no faithfulness in their mouth. Their, in, their, their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Scripture with scripture. Mark 7. Mark 7. Look at verse 20. Jesus speaking again. And he said. That which cometh out of the man. That defileth the man. Threatening to kill people. Threatening to blow up planes and trains. It was... Escobar on one occasion's family flew to Germany to uh, escape Colombian justice and when they arrived in Germany his wife and two children they tried to enter Germany and the American DEA got on to the German police and said don't let them into Germany we have to get them back on a plane to Bogota they had to stand trial for their crimes against the Colombian people bombs going off all over the place in Colombia like the IRA were doing in Britain and Ulster for many a year and uh his family returned back to Colombia, to Bogota, the capital, of course. And he was so angry that he got onto his phone, his satellite phone, and he was phoning up leaders in uh, the presidential palace. He phoned up the German embassy in Colombia and embassies around the world. He threatened to do this, he threatened to do that. It all came from his heart, you see. It was defining him. Because from, from verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. I'm going to kill you. Let my wife enter into Germany. Those two, uh, those two uh, Jews sent to Germany to track down that woman. If you find her, put her back on a plane. And if not, you know what to do. Jesuits were being dispatched to Britain to kill Elizabeth and her courts. Britain was on the uh, brink of catastrophe when Henry VIII died, as it was in 1939 when Germany was surrounding Britain. But all these go, all these problems go back to the thoughts of mankind. For from within out to the heart of men proceed evil, tho- uh, evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders murders we spent a lot of time this morning discussing that thefts covetousness wickedness deceit lasciviousness an evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and defile the man the word lasciviousness old english for animal desires sex mad basically get me to the brothel i want this and i want that henry VIII would be guilty of lasciviousness but we'll close it there, that was the fifth psalm, and it's taken uh, two Sundays to look at just 12 verses, for thou Lord wilt bless the righteous, amen, with favour wilt thou compass him, surround him as with a shield, put a shield up, surround his righteous, in the context David, stop Absalom from getting too near to David and his men, but in type, in uh, the history of the church if you will, the Lord will put a shield around you he will protect you he will keep you safe and sound and he will get you home to glory contrast that to those who don't walk with him those who go against him like some of the infamous people we've spoken about this morning and they gained the whole world and lost their souls and went to hell forever